Now, I want to thank Pastor Danny for the opportunity to share with you guys this morning and also be in prayer for him as he speaks over the next couple of days and invest in many, many lives and take opportunities God has given him. I'm Daniel Van Cleve. I am, I happen to be one of the staff members here, and I have some amazing students that I would like to recognize. They're out here making some noise right now. And so I get to be a student pastor to an amazing group, and they are getting it done. They are getting it done. They are inviting their friends, and they are getting this art of neighboring thing, and I'm excited to see that play out. Two weeks ago, Pastor Danny launched this art of neighboring idea um, to love where you live. It's not a new sermon, it's not a new message, but it is a message that began, Jesus began preaching 2,000 years ago, and we call it this great commission, that the church is to take the gospel to our community, to love God first and love our neighbor second. You know, loving our neighbor takes effort. It takes a lot of work. It takes purpose. And so last, two weeks ago, we established the fact that um, everyone around us with a need is our neighbor, right? Pastor gave us a good quote, and I read, we are to live by faith, live by faith in a grace that works in love. He encouraged us to walk towards our neighbor. Instead of walking away, engage them, serve them, love them right where they're at. Get to know those that live around us. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, this great commission, says that we are to go and tell. And this should be the pulse of the church. It should be um, a part of our daily lives is loving our neighbor. It's not just a Sunday morning uh, thing. It's not just a Wednesday night huddle. Being a Christian is not about, it's, those are great things. But taking the gospel, taking the love of Christ to our neighbor. That's the art of neighboring. And when we get this, it will radically change our lives and change many lives around us. Pastor, Pastor Stu, last week, I get choked up when I think about uh, my biggest takeaway. My biggest takeaway last week was time flies like an arrow, right? Fruit flies like a banana. I mean, where does he get this stuff? That is so absolutely amazing. He challenged us to redeem the time allotted to us. We all have the same amount of time. What are we spending our days on? Colossians 4, 5 says to make the best use of the time. And if we get this art of neighboring, if we, if we take away from this huddle that, that we gather to week after week, that the play on the field is to be sharing the love of Christ with everyone around us, it transforms our time. It transforms what we do. Stu said the church is not the only organization. Actually, let me rephrase that. Stu said the church is the only organization here for the people not here yet. You see, it's not so much about us as it is about our neighbor. Today we're going to look at this thing called fear. And um, I've had lots of opportunities to be afraid to bring this sermon this morning because fear is not something that the enemy wants us talking about. But I believe it is the number one thing that prevents us and will prevent some from taking the art of neighboring seriously. 
saw a survey several years ago that said 86% of Christians of the church, 86% of the church never shares their faith, never talks about Christ. The greatest, most amazing story happened to me when I was 24 years old when I, when I gave up and I flew the white flag over my life and I said, God, I give you everything, not me. It's not about my mission. It's not about my agenda, my goals. It's about you, God. I want to come alongside you instead of putting you alongside me. And he changed my life. Fear stops us from telling that story. So we're going to combat that today and take a few moments and talk about what fear is. And it might be a little scary, but it's okay. Because we need to talk about it. This Art of Neighboring thing has really turned my heart just a little bit. Um, and, and start, you know, when I get out of the car, I'm, I'm like Pastor Danny and some others I've heard, man, we're just, we're exhausted. We're ready to get in. And, and so what I've started doing is praying for my neighbors. Now, I happen to know a few of my neighbors, just, just a couple, but I didn't know everyone around me. But I just started praying for them and just thinking about what opportunity is God going to give me. I want you to know within the past two days, I have engaged five of my neighbors and I didn't seek any one of them out. Prayer works. Getting before God and saying, God, this fear thing ain't going to stop me. I, I want to see my neighbor. I want to see those around me. Hear the greatest news ever told. A couple days ago, it's actually been about a week and a half, I think, um, my neighbor behind me, who I, I did not know, never met, left a note on my door, handwritten note, said, hey, I live behind you, need to talk. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, the, something about a fence, couldn't really understand it, so I called him. Real nice guy, said, hey, man, I, you know, our, the fence behind, in between us, it's, it's, I've, I've propped it up. A post is broken and it's about to fall over. And he said, the reason I wanted you to call me is I wanted your permission to fix the fence. He said, because I have to trespass on your property to fix the fence. Can I get your permission to come over and fix the fence? Now, in my selfish mind, I think, sure, fix the fence. Great. Have fun with that. But the love of Christ constrains us when we think about our neighbors, when we love our neighbors ourselves. I, I wouldn't want to fix that fence myself. So I said, no, let's, let's do it. I'm off Friday. Can we just, can we do it Friday? And he's like, oh, that'd be awesome. I hung out with one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my life. We, we fixed the fence. We hung out. We drank iced tea. We talked about our neighborhood. He actually helped me trim two of my trees in my front yard, several hours of work. He's like, man, I love this stuff. Zzz, you know, he's cutting things like, man, this is great. I love this too, you know. <laughs> Woo, that tree's been scaring me. The limb poking me in the eye, and he trims it up. And, and then we started talking about our neighbors, and he starts telling me about our neighbors. And, you know, it came up. We're looking at doing this, this fall fest, this mini fall fest. Uh, October, the, October the 30th. And our family, we don't, we've not gotten all excited about Halloween ever. Um, it's not something we celebrate. We're going to take this opportunity and we're going to step outside of our box and our bubble. We're going to love on our community. Instead of running and doing our own thing as a church, many of you are doing this. If you're not, here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to set up a fall fest in our front yard. I'm going to pull a grill out. He's like, man, I've got a grill. You don't have to go borrow one. So we're going to partner. We're going to get out there. We're going to roast some marshmallows. We're going to give out candy. We're going to set up a couple of venues for kids as they walk by our neighborhood. We're able to engage them and love on them. That's what the art of neighboring is. And God just laid this idea on the staff at Great Hills, just laid it on us and said, this is, this is what I want you guys to do when we pray. God moves us. God moves us. So on the screens, Matthew 28, I want us to read this. If you don't know these two verses, man, you've got to know them. This is the reason the church exists today. Therefore, Jesus speaking, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even until the end of age. The reason the church exists today is to meet, be encouraged, and leave the huddle and go play the game. Get on the field and run the play. And the play is go and make disciples. Speaking of football, it's a big deal in Texas, and it's also a big deal in Georgia and on the screens will be my daughter and I at our first Georgia football game. First one for her. She was able to go. It was an exciting memory. All right. Being the finance guy that I am, I love this memory. I asked permission to share this part of it because we're going to get a little transparent here. I started doing the math on what this two and a half hour game actually cost us. You know, it's just what I do, right? I'm the finance guy. I worry about finance from time to time. And here's, here's what we spent. We had to pay the price to go to this game. Listen to this. Fuel, $35 to get there and back. Had to drive to Athens. Two $40 tickets. Two $4 water bottles. Two $6 commemorative Cokes. One $5 popcorn. Had to have peanuts. One $5 bag of about 16 peanuts in that bag. That was great. <laughs> two, two big dogs. D-A-W-G-S. Big dogs. All right, two big dogs. They were $6 a piece. All right, the big dog was slightly smaller than your regular hot dog. I don't get it. It was about like our, our performance yesterday against Alabama. A $5 program, a $7 spirit finger. Had to have that. Couldn't go home without it. $10 on parking. Finance guy. Had to factor in Social Security on the money, Social Security, and income tax, because I'm paying on that, believe me. 63 bucks right there. Grand total, $241 to experience this game. Now check this out. We didn't go to that game to watch 11 men huddle up on the field and talk about football. We didn't go to that game to watch 11 men in tights circle up and say, here's what we're going to do. Two black flash uh, corner trips, right fly, and, and, and stand there in the huddle, go dogs, and pull out of the circle and go sit on the bench. How weird would that be? How crazy would it be? Play after play after play, whistle blows, the clocks run out, penalized, and they're moved back and moved back, and this team just huddles and talks about football. Head coach would be furious. It wouldn't take long before some guys would be pulled out. Second string, third string, they do the same thing. They go in and they say, man, that's not what we go to see. That's not what it's about. I wanted to see... Did the play called in secret in the huddle affect the performance on the field? 
See, Christianity is not about gathering and talking about Jesus and learning about Jesus. It's about gathering, talking about Jesus, learning about Jesus, and being encouraged about Jesus, and leaving and hitting that line and going and exercising what we just learned. And, and no, not the, a single one of us is exempt from that. That's the game. That's the play. One play. It's the reason the church exists today. Um, if we grow in faith, if we mature as believers, we must be sharing our faith. Anything less than that is disobedience to the God that created us. Has the play in your life, in my life, in the huddle that we talk about made a difference once applied on the field? If we don't run the play, we can't reach our friends. If we don't run the play, our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, they're all be, they're being drugged through life in a living hell. We need to look at them like they are and headed to an eternity in hell. Without Jesus, without Jesus and without hearing about Him, one goes to a horrible, terrible place. And I don't want to go there. I'm not going there. And I don't want any of my friends to. So we must be vocal. Jesus said, um, Acts 1.8 says, rather, be, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It's not an option for Christians. As we said, it's not even a Hail Mary. It's not a heave it up and hope someone catches it. It's not I'm just going to live my life in secret and let everybody watch me live my secret out. We've got to open our mouth. We've got to confess Him as Lord. That's vocal. It's, 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 about, it's about telling people about Christ. I think we know that. Um, this is what art of neighboring is. A lot of churches, and I have, I have seen these churches, and I don't think this is Great Hills, but a lot of churches think it's the pastor's job. We hire the pastor to share the gospel for us. Our pastors do. We do. Ross, Terry, Stu, Corey, Dan, we, we, share, we share Christ every week. Every opportunity, and I've missed some, I'm not going to say every, but we, we take an opportunity to try. Jesus shook the planet with guys like me, guys just like me, bullheaded, stubborn, middle-class, working men, and they shook the planet because they took the play that they talked about in secret and ran it on the field. Now, let's look at fear. Because fear is, no, undoubtedly, the number one thing that stops us from sharing our faith. So on the screen, there's going to be a couple of fears. And I had to go with 12. I was going to go with the top 10 fears. But really, I'll be honest with you, 12 and 11 were so humorous, I had to throw them up there. So number 12. Now, here's what I want you to do. Let's get a little undignified. If you can relate to one of these, confession's good. Just say, uh-huh. All right, so let's practice it. Let me hear you say Oh, that was, that's mediocre. Let me hear you say, uh-huh. Uh -huh. All right, that's pretty good. All right, so ghost. Any takers on ghost? A little bit, yeah. Clowns. Now, I'm, I'm going to be sensitive. Ooh. I said I was going to be sensitive, so I'm going to move on real quick for you guys. It's a dude with makeup on. Some of you women put makeup on. Anyway, number 10. <laughs> Moving on. Number 10, darkness. Darkness is number 10. Anybody? Darkness? Maybe it's you're not afraid of the dark. Maybe it's we're afraid of what we can't see, perhaps. Number nine, clueless. I have no idea why somebody would be afraid of something that does not even exist. Zombies. Man, this is why the church is here. Zombies. 
Number eight, stranger, stranger danger, right? This is, this is important because stranger danger, this stops us from sharing our faith. Number seven, um, I would say, anybody number seven? Okay. I would propose that you might not be afraid of flying. You might be afraid of crashing. It might be. Six, claustrophobia. I get that. The older I get, tight spaces. Good. Anybody needles? Number four, drowning. Number three, let's, uh, number three, bug, snakes, critter. We're probably going to have a lot of uh-huhs in here. Yeah, a lot of uh-huhs. Heights. A couple weeks ago, months ago, Corey and I were in the ceiling getting the light ready to drop for an illustration. And man, my, I started hearing something doing a clanking noise. And I thought, what is, I'm already, I'm nervous. I'm like a cat on a tin roof up there looking down from this catwalk. I heard, heard a noise banging. I looked down, it's my knees knocking together. I was nervous. I was terrified. Corey's like, come on, sissy, baby. No, he didn't, but he could have. Number one, it has been number one for a long time, public speaking. Public, got it? Public speaking. I think I'm more afraid of, of, of choking and of saying the wrong thing or looking like an idiot. Than, than actual, actually speaking. Perhaps this number one fear here is what stops us. Stu talked about it. It's definitely not time. We have the same amount of time. It's not talent. God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. It's not treasure. He owns it all. He doesn't need our treasure. He wants us to be obedient and to run the play. Run the play. See what he does. Pray. God, I didn't do anything different but pray. And I have spoken with five of my neighbors one-on-one over the past two days. So let's look at these three fears. They'll be on the screens. Three fears associated with not sharing our faith. Number one, fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. There's a man asked, what are you afraid of? What are you most afraid of has robbed you in your life, what's robbed you most of anything? He replied, things that have never happened. Things that have never happened. You ever been afraid of something? Ever been afraid? I know um, I can relate to that. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but um, wife and I owned a business. We had a business partner in this business and built, developed houses and um, sold the business had, had accumulated some assets, sold the business, did lots of ministry, invested in kingdom business, stuck a little bit in savings, received a call almost a year later from my former business partner that said, hey man, I think we messed the numbers up. I need you to go talk to the accountant. You owe the business venture $54,000. I didn't say, ooh, that's not, I said something, I was upset, I was terrified. $54,000? Over the course of a couple of days, I couldn't get in. I mean, my stomach's up. I'm, I'm churning. I'm, I'm nervous. I, you know, 50, that's a lot of money. I go in, I sit down with the accountant, and he's sitting there hitting this machine, and this tape rolls off and rolls off and hits the floor, carries off across the room. He's doing all this typing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I explain it to him. I said, I think, I think, he says, you might be right. Give me a few more days. And so I go home, and I sweat it out. You know, and finally I came to a point where I said, you know what? Because I was upset with God. Lord, we've, we've forsaken all. And we, we've sold out for you. We're trying to do ministry. 
And now we have this nasty bill, this nasty thing in front of us. Perhaps you're going to have to go borrow money. And God said, trust me. And so Countit called me back and said, hey, come in and look at these numbers. And I went in and he says, it looks like the partnership may actually owe you money. I said, that's right. That's right. That's what I, I knew that the whole time. Yeah. Fix it. Fix it. Pay me. You know, and I was like, oh my goodness. And I walked out and I hung my head. I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I allowed fear to trap me and take me to a place I shouldn't go. Please forgive me. The next week, not two weeks, the next week I received a check in the mail for 6000 some odd dollars, like $6,700, saying sorry about the mix-up, and it cashed, okay? God has a way of doing things, and I think our fear can choke that out. Fear of the unknown, what would happen? Let's move faster. Fear of personal rejection. Jesus said you'll be rejected. 1 Thessalonians 4.8 says, Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. I think expectation is key when we are rejected. Know you're going to be rejected. Anticipate being rejected. Don't go in with that fear. Go in knowing that when they reject us, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the message that our creator, that our commander-in-chief, they're, they're rejecting the message that the head coach has said. Man, go to the huddle. Encourage one another. Take it to the streets. Go, go. They're rejecting him, not us. Fear of social separation is number three. Matthew 5, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body, but they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul, or soul and body in hell. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41, we're going to read um, a couple of verses, 10 verses here. We're going to sit down on verse 10 and talk about that this morning. Isaiah 41, the verses will be on the screen. God speaking. Verse 1. Listen in silence before me. You lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. Let's just, let's stop right there. Often, if you're like me, you read God's Word, and we totally can miss what He has to say. I want to ask God to speak to us. And I want to ask God for His voice to be profound. Lord, open up your words to us. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to listen I want you to listen because God is speaking this. God is talking to us as if he were standing right here speaking. Turn your attention to verse 2. Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he is walking over unfamiliar ground. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord. 
the first and the last. I alone am He. The lands beyond the sea watch in fear. Remote lands tremble and mobilize for war. The idol makers encourage one another, saying to each other, be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith, and the molder helps at the anvil. Good, they say, it's coming along fine. Carefully they join the parts together, then fasten the thing in place so it won't fall over. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God gives us a direct command here in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. This, this fear is an anxious feeling, an apprehension about a situation. Fear will bind us uh, to the past. It will rob us of the present. And fear will refuse to allow us to experience the future. A good acrostic for fear is false evidence appearing real. It is not true. I've often been told that fear is uh, the opposite of faith, but I want to propose to you that it takes great faith to fear. It takes great faith to believe in something that perhaps does not even exist. Great faith fears God. So what we're going to do is we're going to look... um, We're going to move fast. I want to give you a couple of things, um, people that in Scripture we see where they were stalked by their fears. Cain feared not being accepted by Abel, remember? Abraham lied about Sarah in Genesis 12, and he also did it again a couple times. Jacob displayed fear of Esau. Moses feared Pharaoh. Moses also feared rejection. The people of Israel feared the giants in the land, remember? And they refused to go in, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation died off before fear was done with them. Elijah feared the threats of Jezebel, ran after a great victory. Jonah feared the Ninevites, refused to go. The disciples feared Jesus, or they feared the storm, rather. Jesus was right there in the boat with them, right? Great fear. Fear will hold you back. We fear everything. We fear not having enough money. We fear what's going to happen next. We even toy with fear, with, with movies and with other things. But I want us to sit down on verse 10 in the time that we have left and look at five factors for fearlessness, and they will be on the screen. Number one, God says, His promises say, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Just to know his presence is enough to kill this bad fear. I'm with you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can you flee from my presence? God is with us. Being with the Father and knowing he's here 
gives you great comfort. I saw this played out in my family's life as we spent almost three years in Joplin, Missouri. God called us to Joplin, Missouri just after a terrible storm hit, that May 22nd, 2011 tornado. And this tornado devastated the area, just wreaked havoc on about a third of our community. Day after day, we rode through that carnage, and we saw the piles of rubble from this terrible, awful storm. We spoke with people that had lost friends. We ministered to those that were hurting and and still hurting. We watched Facebook blow up at 2 and 3 and 4 a.m. with messages from students that they're afraid. They're afraid when storms would come through. I remember one night, we thought storms were moving far north of us, so we didn't hunker down. But many a night, we spent hunkered down with um, bicycle helmets on. I'll let you know I never put one on, but I had it ready. Bicycle helmet and um, boots or shoes, and the storm is moving through, and everyone, we think, is sound asleep. Sheree and I are laying there watching the news on, on, on mute and just watching the storms pass. And the door opens, and it's our daughter. It's Hope. And Hope walks in, and I'm thinking she's going to come over for consolation. She's going to come over and say, Dad, I'm nervous. Dad, I'm scared. But she didn't do that. You know what she did? Came in, she shut the door. She laid down at the foot of the bed and went to sleep. Just being in the presence of her father was enough. You know, knowing that God will never leave us is enough. Number two, he says, I am your God. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. He created us. He sustains us. He knows best, and he's in control. I am your God. Number three, I will strengthen you. Our strength comes from him. It's not from ourself. We must know that our strength is in him. He is our tower. He is our strong tower. Our ability and our power to do what we do in life comes from God. And you see, when we fear is when we forget that He's with us. When we fear, we forget He's our God. When we fear, we forget it's in His strength. Then number four, He says, I will help you. I will help you. Who is your help? Who is our help? One of our own, Clara, is going to Africa. Um, I think October the 13th, be praying for Clara. And Clara is taking off and she is going alone. I asked her about her fears, and I asked her about what she faces, and she's headed to a foreign third world country alone by herself to take the gospel to this community. But you know what? She describes some fears. I get that. But what she's not doing is allowing her fears to paralyze her and entrap her. She's going because she knows that God is her help. When we know God is our help, fear does not entangle us. It doesn't hold us long, that is. Number five, we see in verse 10, he says, I will hold you. With my victorious, righteous hand, there is no greater place to be than in the hands of God. This fear will take us from those places in our mind, and it will entrap us, and it turns us to this enemy. Now, For these truths and these promises to be understood, we have to place them on the right foundation. In verse 1 through 9, we see promises. We have the promise in verse 10, but we have these facets, these foundational facets of God 
that intensify those promises when we see who he is in this situation. So it's like the gunpowder in the dynamite. It makes it explode when we back up and see who is this God that says, I'm with you? Who is the God that says, I'm, I'm your God? Who is he? He says, I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll hold you. Number one, we see in verse one, he's supreme judge. Verse one, listen in silence before me. You lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest argument. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. God is the supreme judge. He's the judge that draws to account all of the earth. All right? And he is. He says, bring your argument. Bring your case. This righteous judge is the one who rules and, and, and sees every. He hears and sees every case. Number two, not only is he... Um, our supreme judge, but he is our ruler, and he is the ruler of all. We have to understand this. He rules all history, it says in verse 2. Um, who has stirred up the king from the east? I think this is Cyrus. Rightly calling him to God's service. Who gives this man victory over many nations and per permits him to trample their kings underfoot? God here signs off on all positions of, of authority. That's who he is. Romans 13.1 says that he, uh, he, he passes, he allows authorities and puts them in place. He gives victory. He allows defeat. This is our God. Another facet, foundational truth about God is he establishes the nations. And we saw that in verse 4. He calls the nations of earth into being because he is the first and the last. Number 4, verse 9 he calls his people. Verse 9, he says, I have called you back from the ends of the earth. Back from what? Back from wondering. Back from just going through the motions. He said, I've called you back, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. God calls his people into service. The God who calls his people, he's, he freely and graciously says to them, I am your God. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. You know, the enemy has a voice as well. I find it interesting. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Stay alert. Because the devil roams around the earth seeking who he can devour. He's roaring like a lion. You've seen that verse? He's roaring like a lion. I wonder why it doesn't say he's pawing like a lion. Why is he not biting like a lion? He's roaring like a lion because he has a voice. He, his tactic is to ensue fear. I remember when I heard my first lion's roar. It is not a pretty thing. I was standing outside in the evening... And I'm standing there with Peter Nageza, a native Messiah, and we're talking, and I hear this like this, and I turn, and I'm ready to run inside. I'm done. And I was like, Peter, shouldn't we go? He's like, oh, no, that's miles away. Miles away? Really? He's like, oh, that's several miles. That's not even anywhere near the city. I said, wow, how crazy would it be to have one roar in your face? I, I was a mess. Right there from miles away. That's like the devil. 
He roars. That's all he has because he's a whipped puppy dog on a leash. When we turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and when God is our God, when God is with us, when God strengthens us, when he's our help and holds us up, fear does not entrap us. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. I love the fact that um, God sets up his case. And he says, therefore, since I'm supreme judge, judge of the nations, I will be with you. I, I'm, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Therefore, because I'm ruler of all history, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Therefore, since I established the nations and put them into being, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. So because I am this great God who chose my people freely, I will help you. I will be with you. I'll strengthen you. I will uphold you. That's our God. We see some prepositions here. I'm your God. I'm over you. I'm over you. I am your God. I'm with you. I'm, I'm by your side. I will strengthen you from the inside out. His spirit strengthens us. I will help you. I'm all around interceding, bringing defeat where necessary, victories. I will uphold you from the underneath. What a God. There's a point on the screen that says fear is a prison to which we hold the key. Fear is a prison to which you hold the key. And to illustrate that, I have something that you never want to have around your ankles. This is shackles. And here's what we do with fear. We put them on ourselves. We allow this to entrap us. And we just don't stop there because it's not enough for us not to be able to run the race. When we allow fear to, to, to take hold in our lives, we do everything possible to stop the movement that God wants to do in us. This is what fear looks like. This is it. It's entrapping I can't, I can't go and do the things. This is weird, isn't it? I can't go. Some of you are looking at me like, whoa, what are you doing? I want you to see what fear will do to us, okay? Fear shuts the door on, on God's possibilities. He wants to do impossible things. I said impossible things because all things are possible with God. But there's a reason when God shows up, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. That which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. He says, don't be afraid. I'm over you. I'm by you. I'm inside of you. I'm around you. I'm underneath you. So don't fear. And we take this bondage on that stops us from looking to Jesus, from experiencing the peace. And if we can't first know it and receive it for ourselves, there is no taking it to our community. It will not happen. On the screen, um, fear not, faint not, fret not, I call you this morning 
to stop defining and limiting your future in terms of your past and start defining it in terms of your God. He is a great God. And he says, fret not, fret not, I love you. Thank not, I'm holding you. Fear not, I'm keeping you. Psalm 1 says, blessed is a man whose delight, who meditates. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the, in the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates on God's word. He doesn't meditate on fear that entraps and binds. Isaiah 26.3 says, I will keep him in perfect peace. Some of us need to put that on our mirror where you see it every day. I will keep you in perfect peace. This is not peace. I'll be honest with you. I'm not at peace with this right now. This is not comfortable. I, I, this is not a place I want to be. But God's word says, I will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is fixed on me. Great peace comes to those who are trusting in God. There's another verse, Hebrews 11:2, 2, that I cannot do. I can't look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I can't run the race with endurance that is set before me. Why? Because I'm trapped. I'm encumbered. I'm held back. Now here's the point. In my pocket right here, I hold a key. This right here is the key to my freedom. This key right here will release my shackles. It will take away my bondage. This key is Jesus. Do you have him? Do you have Jesus? You say, well, I've been going to church all my life. That's not what I asked. I did that for 24 years. Perfect attendance. I don't want to talk about church attendance. I'm not talking about going to the huddle. I'm not talking about talking about the, the game. I'm talking about, do you have, is the head coach your daddy? You say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. He's not, no one is born a child of God. That adoption takes place because of Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will set you free. This morning, you may not be shackled by fear. You might be shackled by unbelief. You might be shackled this morning and you might realize when I talk about a Jesus that's freeing, a Jesus that, that, that will save you, a Jesus that wants all of you, you've never made that decision in your life. And, and some of you here this morning have never transferred your trust. You've never taken the key and said, I surrender to you. I give you everything. Take my life. That's what my prayer was something like that. I give up. I give up. Take my life. Take me. You know what God did? He jumped in and he transformed me. He jumped in and he saved me. He released me. And somebody needs to do that this morning. In a moment, we're going to pray. And in a moment, I'm going to step right down here to the front. I believe there's someone here I've prayed for you this morning. I believe there may be more than one. You're here this morning and God is knocking on your heart's door. And the fear that you need to face right now is knowing that you are not his. And the way you face it is, is, is to transfer your life to him. You're basically pulling the life of your car over. 
and you're saying, God, I want you. I want you to be my everything. I want to be freed from this. And I, I, want, I want to transfer my trust to you. And you're, you're releasing yourself from, from, a, from a destination where you don't want to go and a life that you don't want to live. I'm going to be standing right down here. And I, I want you to come to me and say, I'm just, here's what you say. I'm that dude. I'm that gal. I'm that person. I, I need to give my life to Jesus. We'll talk about it. I will talk to you. I want to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been shackled by fear. I want to read a couple things to you and then we're going to close. I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm not asking you to put an end to the fear this morning. I'm asking you to transfer and turn your fear to, to, to God, the one that's coming. There's coming a day of reckoning when we will face Him. Most Christians never hear, do not fear because they never do anything to merit the command. Never do anything that would cause them to, to pull them out of their complacency and pull us out of our comfort zones. The play is to be run, and it's, it's, it's run through Christ, and it is Christ. If what you attempt is not scary, perhaps it's, it's not God's will for you. I charge you this morning to not fear the wrath of God, or not fear the wrath of men, sorry, but fear the fact that we do not make man angry. Fear not the attack of Satan, but fear that we never make his hit list. Fear not the unknown, but fear the one beyond the unknown, the one greater than all. Fear not trials and tribulations, but fear a life of ease and complacency. Fear not that your life is not good enough, but fear that your life is not of God. Fear not what men would say about you, but fear what God is going to say. Man can't kill us, Matthew 10, 20, 28. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This morning I'm asking Christians in this room to undo the shackles, to be free, to be free this morning. You say, Daniel, that's crazy. What's holding you back? What is stopping you? I don't know, but I can tell you this. God knows, and He knows you, and He loves you too much to leave you where you are. I've had to face some fears and prep for this sermon. Okay? I have. It's changed my life. It's a lot of things that I was putting in front of God. They were fun. They were pets. They weren't massive, huge. In anybody's eyes, you say, oh, that's okay. But it's a shackle. It's a shackle. I wish I could talk more about that. We're out of time. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Success this morning for our lives would look like doing whatever Jesus tells us to do. What's he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you taken that step? 
where you've pulled the life, the vehicle of your life over to the side of the road and you've stepped out from behind the wheel, closed the door and you've, you got in the back seat and shut the door and said, Jesus, take my life, drive my vehicle, you take me where you want me to go. That's what lordship looks like. If you've not done that this morning, the Bible says the day is the day of salvation. Please transfer your trust to him. Give your life to Jesus this morning. Be obedient to him. Our pastors and some staff will be at the altar, and I'm going to be standing right here, and I'm going to be waiting on that one that I believe God laid on my heart this morning, maybe more. And you're here, and you're tired of playing games, and the Spirit of God is knocking on your heart's door, and he's saying, come home, come to me, give it up, and I'm going to be right here to receive you, and I want to talk with you about what that means. Father, I think I've said, I think I've said everything you told me to say. We don't want to be afraid, God. We don't want to set our fears on the side and treat them like some sort of pet. We want to turn our attention to the subject that is worthy of all of our affection and all of our praise. God, help us. Help us this morning to take drastic measures to fear the one and only true God. Help us to see the idols that you're exposing in our life that we have put in place of you. Bring freedom. Bring transformation this morning. Bring salvation. This is your time. This is your moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me and don't wait. The music's going to play. You move. Do as God has called you to do. Obedience to whatever, whatever he is saying.